that time forgot podcast with Ashling Hurleyamp, Neve Quinn. So I'm late to the party, but I just discovered the IT crowd at the weekend. No way, it's only 13 years old. Yeah, I know. I'm mad at myself, but when it came out, I think how I missed it. I can't believe I missed it, especially when it's like all about people who work in our area, but um, I'm kind of making excuses. So at the time I had a seven-year-old, a two-year-old, so it's pretty busy. So maybe that's how I missed it. But that's what I really love about Netflix because it's like a time capsule of happiness and you don't have to leave your house to get that little happy feeling. I just loved it. Yeah, it's great because there's so many actually um, English kind of com- like um, comedy series that were done and there were only, only so many so many episodes. Yeah. And they were absolutely amazing. They were moved on to bigger and better things. But Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, and actually it was filmed in front of a live studio audience. Um, what was your favourite episode? Uh, oh, God, I just loved them all. And, of course, another binge watch. But um, the, I love, love, love the character Morris Moss, who I figured out was played by Richard Iodi, I think is his name. And then um, Douglas Renholm. I loved I know, him. He's so funny. Yeah, played by Matt Berry. Um, like real uh, sex freak. Mm. <laughs> it was just so funny. Um, actually, it was gas because I was watching it with Kate and she went, oh, it's like our office. And I was like, oh, God, hopefully mine is the sexual innuendo yeah. here. <laughs> but, um, oh, God, that was just so funny. And when he, you know, the episode where he inherited the whole thing from his father and he hadn't a clue about business, he doesn't yeah. know anything about the company, he doesn't care. He's just all this money at his disposal. And it's like, you know, great teams under him. Um, it's kind of like Mark Thatcher, isn't he? Yeah, and actually, it's got our own Chris O'Dowd in it. Yeah, a huge. Hollywood I loved star. him. He was so funny. I actually love Jen. She's um, played by Catherine Parkinson, and she actually, her husband as well, is another good English comedic. Um, I didn't know actor. that. Yeah. If you see his face, you know, him. all in those kind of really good. Yeah, you know, chunk of. Um, of the times, you know. Yeah, the IT yeah. thing would have been of the time. But also, if, as you're watching it now, it's kind of... Yeah. Oh, God, it held up so well. Yeah. Because I couldn't believe I was 13 years old. I was like, what? Jesus, brilliant. Yeah. But there's a great one where Jen um, went for an interview and was asked by the high-power executive, so yeah. what does IT stand for? <laughs> so then she's upstairs. She had to ring back and get Moss, who had just had a concussion. Yeah. And in the end, she then went, internet things. <laughs> So too, it's a good catch-all phrase. Isn't, isn't it? it though? Yeah, somebody asked, so what does IT stand for? We can all now go, uh, internet things. But um, yeah, that was episode three, I think, series three. Exactly, when the groups of curves come in and he's on his knees, it's just... Yeah, Matt Berry, um, or Moss is on his knees. And um, what had happened was Douglas, who, as you said, had has this... Um, is it a, probably a sex addict is probably the thing. Mm. So anyway, but it played very well, very funny, not at all offensive. But anyway, he's trying to cope with all that. So uh, he invests in these trousers that help him control himself. Mm. So anyway, the trousers develop a fault. So of course he goes down to Moss in the basement. who's like, oh gosh. And so normally Moss is like the whiz kid and is able to fix everything. But he's like looking at him going, uh, you know, I don't know what's wrong with you. But anyway, in an effort to try fix the trousers, Moss is on his knees. <laughs> 
and a group compromise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a group of uh, sheriffs come in who are visiting the office for some reason. I can't remember that bit. But anyway, his head was obviously moving from side to side because it's big, massive black curls. Yeah. And uh, you couldn't see what was going on, but it looked like he was giving Douglas a bit of pleasure or whatever. Um, oh, God, just so funny. Was that the traps like, or the traps? Yeah, like the tramps. Yeah. Or the tramps, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And, uh, Chris O'Dowd ends up like a street um, on the street, on the street oh, of the tram. God, it was so funny. Um, and what, they filmed that so well because when he ended up on the street, what had happened there was um, how Moss got the concussion was he spilled the cup of coffee and um, knocked himself out, but he spilled the coffee all over um, Roy, who was Chris O'Dowd's character. So, of course, Roy takes off the t shirt and discovers he hasn't got a spare top, so he's gone around in his jacket and a bare chest. Um, then he goes down and meets the, the tea lady who has a bit of a turn and <laughs> the rest of the officer are looking at him, right well you know she needs a jacket she's cold it's mm. <laughs> lying on the floor and so he doesn't want to give the jacket obviously but in the end he gives us and he's going around he's no tag office uh, lanyard uh, no top yeah and uh, so eventually security throws him out in the street so he ends up homeless but anyway they, with the way they film it, he, it looks like he's going around for months without anywhere to live. Yeah. And eventually ends up under a cardboard box on the street. It's just so good. Would mm. you know I'm an addict? Encyclopedic knowledge of the it crowd. I know. Yeah. I could be a mastermind. Is that still going? I don't know. It would be really cool to do it. Um, anyway, welcome to the time, uh, the People the Time Forgot podcast. I'm Ashton and that's me. Aloha. That's just a hello to our Hawaiian audience, reaching out to new um, pastors. Yeah, hello Hawaii. Um, so this week, drum roll, da 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 da. da. I love it. Um, Momolam, the UK wow. Labour politician, who was a key part of the peace process here in Ireland, um, and the Good Friday Agreement in Northern Ireland. Her unique mix of ebullient personality combined with absolute refusal to give in or give up, whether in the face of terrorism or bigotry or a major, major health problem, that has won her pride of place in many people's hearts. So her full name is Marjorie Molem, so she was known as Mo Molem, and she was a member of Parliament for Redcar from 1987 to 2001, and she served in the Cabinet as Secretary of State for Northern Ireland, uh, the Minister for Cabinet Office and the Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster. Bandazzi Doby, brilliant. So delighted we're covering her because her stepdaughter, the documentary director, Henrietta Norton, mm. she was kind of getting worried that she wasn't, because she didn't get a mention in last year's uh, 20th anniversary celebrations. Yeah, I know. Was, the Good Friday Agreement is absolutely yeah. shocking, but we know that you know the quickest way to get written out of history, as far as we can see, is to be a middle-aged woman. So... Henrietta, this is for you and for Mo, and uh, we hope you like it. Yeah. So when Mo arrived as Northern Ireland Secretary in 1997, the job was reputed as the poison chalice. However, Mo not only brought the opposing parties to the table, but she also helped persuade a country of divided communities to come together for the sake of peace and progress. Yeah, so she proved them all wrong by taking that job. Um Tony Blair gave a speech, as we were saying, in Belfast on the anniversary of the agreement signing. And Henrietta, her stepdaughter, was so hurt by the whole thing because he didn't even mention Mo's name. And I mean, she was a key part. And we, um, as in Neve and I, lived through that whole 
period in time and Mo was a massive figure, so important to the people on the street because she was um, very down to earth and very approachable. And Tony Blair didn't make any acknowledgement of her negotiations at all. But the, the gas thing is that when Mo died in 2005, Blair said of her, it's no exaggeration to say she transformed the politics, not just of Northern Ireland itself, but crucially of relations between the Republic of Ireland and the United Kingdom. And it was this transformation that created the culture in which peacemaking could flourish. Suddenly nationalist, Republican and Catholic Ireland had every preconception of the English upended and rendered out of date. She didn't have to talk about equality. She exuded it naturally and with an absence of affectation that was marvellous to behold, she bowled everyone over. So he said that in 2005. Yeah. And then nothing 20 years later. Well, yeah, because... And if she was alive and she was there, she probably would have been held up as... Yeah. You know, the one that, you know... So, again, as we keep saying every episode, this podcast is all about these amazing people. Um, And I would be really worried that people would forget about Mo because... um, she was such an important factor in, in that whole the, process. Yeah, she was the cog that got them all moving. and Yeah. So she was born in 1949 in Watford. So Hertfordshire, Elton John country. He owned the football club there at one stage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, forgot about that. It's like uh, uh, going into a time capsule, isn't it? Yeah. Mo was from a family of strong women. Her father was an alcoholic, which meant her mother and older sister held her family together. Her inclusion of women was imperative to the peace process. She knew that without help from the women in the community, there was no way she was going to be able to persuade the men to join the conversation. But uh, progress is being made slowly. Nothing will happen. It's one of the misunderstandings people have about the process. Is It's not like a light switch. You don't turn it on and peace suddenly arrives. Oh, hello, it's there. She had to find the humanity, her, the humanity in and commonality yeah. between families and relationships from all sides in order to help people find hope. She didn't care what side you were on. Everyone's opinion was important. Yeah, sure. She was like a rock star. Everyone loved her. Um, actually, did you know that Molam, M-O-W-L-A-M, goes all the way back to the Doomsday Book? Uh, I didn't know what that meant, but it sounds important. So I looked it up, and actually, it was a survey that was done in 1086 by William the Conqueror. No way. Anyway, she was the middle <laughs> of three children. Riveting fact. I know. <laughs> no middle child syndrome there, then? No. They moved to Coventry, and she was the daughter of a postmaster. She was the only one of three kids to pass the 11 plus exam. She was a member of the county hockey team. As a school athlete, she a member of the debating team, the lead in the school play, and eventually head girl. This one was the go-getter. Yeah, little Mo, letting her light shine even then. Yeah. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Right, we'll leave it there. Um, (laughs) She studied at Durham University and rode for the women's eight for her college. Who else do we know from there? Sue Black. Our favourite, yeah. Yeah. So Durham University obviously breeds success. Yeah. Yeah, sign your kids up now. For sure. Where's that form? Yeah. (laughs) She read sociology and anthropology in year one. She joined the Labour Party. She worked for them, for then MP Labour, Tony Benn in London, an American writer, Alvin Toffler in New York, moved to the United States with her then boyfriend and studied for a PhD in political science at the University of Iowa. Um, so she was gorgeous and clever, very sexy by all accounts. And Just like herself. Yeah. <laughs> um, so great stories 
you know, coming out from her about that time, people saying she was just as amazing, like a bubble of positivity when you met her. She was just a force to behold, full of life. She was down to earth. Um, actually, you won't believe what I found out about her during this time. You're going to love this. Go on, this friend's killing me. So, I couldn't believe it when I found this out. Uh, she was a lecturer in the political science department at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee in 1977 and at the Florida State University in Tallahassee from 1977 to 1979. Okay, so nothing new there. Yeah. But during her time in Tallahassee, her apartment was broken into by someone and she suspected that it was Ted Bundy, a serial killer and rapist who's thought to have murdered at least 35 young women and attacked several others. What the beep? I know. How crazy is that? I suppose she was a profile. Slim, straight-haired, parted in the middle. The yeah. Way liked them. Yeah, the way you liked them. Exactly. God, so creepy. So she lived in a seedy area of the town um, and that was handy for the university campus. So a man was stalking her for a while, which obviously she knew about, but she escaped unhurt when he broke into her apartment while she was there. And just weeks later, the psychopathic killer, Ted Bundy, murdered two women students on the nearby campus. Oh my God, I'm going Yeah, I know. Like Jesus. But he... Um, he was eventually caught executed, having God. confessed to 23 murders in all of which he stalked his attractive women victims. She probably was so lucky. I know. She was convinced it was him at the door. And um, looking at all the information around it, it does seem like it could have been him. So, God, what a lucky escape. Yeah. And she had a tragi- tragedy shortly after that. In 1979, shortly after she had decided to return to the UK and take up a posit- post as the political lecturer at the Newcastle upon Tyne University, the American boyfriend who she had spent much of her time in Florida drowned while swimming in a lake. His death had a profound effect on her. She had many relationships subsequently, but it was another 16 years before she married John Norton, a banker who was also a Labour Party fundraiser. Yeah, such a good guy and was so good to her when she was sick and just so loyal. Um, Actually, there's a really funny piece in the interview she did with Gay Byrne, which you can look up on YouTube. If you don't know who Gay Byrne was, uh, we're old. But um, he was the first presenter of RT's sort of head talk show called The Late Late Show. So you can actually look it up on YouTube and you'll hear Mel, uh, Mo's voice during the podcast. Um, so it was RT1 was the channel that it was on, if you just Google that. So anyway, she was telling the story that she was in Belfast, obviously, in the thick of negotiating the peace process when her husband phoned and said he had been let go from his job. So... She's talking in the interview and she said, I'm thinking, you know, the loans, the car, the mortgage, she's going to be so depressed. So anyway, she's kind of dreading going home, but she gets home uh, all determined to cheer him up. And she walks in and he's sitting there all relaxed, sitting back, uh, sipping a glass of wine. And she goes, you know, sorry about that. And is commiserating him. And he goes uh, very gleefully, I'm free. So he was delighted it had happened. So I love this moment. She actually said to Gay, because he asked her, you know, well, what's he going to do now? And she said, well, he's going to be a kept man. And she was just so proud about that fact that she could do it for him. I just thought it was gorgeous. Yeah, that was just her all over. Uh, I have no children. I have two stepchildren. Uh, one, a boy of 11 and a girl of 15, 16. Going on 26. Um, <laughs> uh, I have a husband, John. Uh, who did work in a bank until 
week before last, when he was made redundant. So, mm. and I was rushed back from Belfast, terror, oh, mortgage, car loans, what are we going to do? And he was sitting at home, glass of whiskey in his hand, and I said, how are you? Free! I'm free! <laughs> and he's as happy as anything. That's all bloody fine, but who's going to put the butter on the parsnips? He's and... going to be a kept man. <laughs> her life was like her politics. Her politics were always pragmatic. It was something she learned during the Labour Party Civil War um, in the early 1980s when she recognised the need for fundamental change in the party. Yeah, and wait for this. Um, she reckoned that she failed to get selected in the North East because there was a smear circulating amongst her comrades that she was a spy working for either British Intelligence or the CIA. Yeah, because she was actually probably working. Yeah. You couldn't write that. That's... <laughs> Like, wait, wait yeah. a second now. Yeah, yeah. She's actually doing something. Yeah. So she, she must, must be a spy. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Yes, she, so she worked for Neil Kinnock instead in 1983. In 1987, she won the elections as James Tin stepped down, stepped down in Redcar. Yeah, so then she was fast-tracked by Kinnock. Um, so he appointed her to the front bench as Northern Ireland spokeswoman just 10 months after her election. And from 1989, she was speaking on city and corporate affairs in Gordon Brown's trade and industry team. But this wasn't a success. Again, we know she worked really hard here, but she didn't get on well with Brown. And this then had serious implications, obviously, after the Conservatives won the 92 election. And John Smith succeeded Kinnock as Labour leader. So remember his name. Mm. So the mantra, the mantra again kept going and feck it, just do it. So... In she was first given responsibility for the citizens, charter and women, a post she privately despised. And then in 1993 for the national heritage. Ooh, the excitement. So Smith dies and she unsuccessfully runs to join Tony Blair's election campaign. Yeah, but here we go again. She gets another knock here because he decides Jack Straw. Like, where do they get these names? <laughs> straw, Tin, it's just red car. So, tin Straw. Yeah. Um, anyway, he decides Jack Straw would be a safer bet as he's worried about the backlash from Gordon Brown's supporters. Um, so he gives Mo the Northern Ireland portfolio. So at the time, this was a sort of exile. No politician wanted to take up that post because it was like being sent out to Angolia. So um, he did this probably to keep her quiet and, you know, send her to the hellhole that keep her busy and keep her occupied. And of course, ironically, it made her name and fame. Yeah. So she was offered it, would you believe, three times, and she refused it three times. Was it Judas who did that too? Uh, was that not Peter? I don't know. Something <laughs> about <laughs> before a cock goes, you will be disowned me three times. I know. Uh, amazing that she still persevered. So anyway, she eventually realises that if Labour won the next general election, she'd become the Secretary of State for Northern Ireland. Clever Mo. So she took mm. the job. And she worked with absolutely phenomenal energy to try and make political progress in the province at the time. So guess what happens? Labour won. Yeah. 1997. Yes. Go team of Mo. She brought Sinn Féin to the table. She even went to the maze to talk to the prisoners on both sides to try and understand their point of view. I mean, the maze is a serious prison. And at this point in time, um, she really took a massive chance going in there. You know, she could have been killed at any stage. But they loved her because she was so down to earth yeah. and she just spoke to them as a normal human being. 
And did you say there was a story that you found when researching for the book? Dum -dum. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another cool thing was that um, well, the first thing that I, I discovered, which I absolutely love the phrase, uh, Ian Paisley referred to her as the devil's milk, mm. which is slang for um, whiskey. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I love it. I wouldn't mind being called the devil's milk. Yeah, I wouldn't mind some whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jameson, where are you? So then the yeah, story... This show has been sponsored by Jameson. Yeah, thank you. Um, so then the thing you were thinking about was probably the story about the loyalist paramilitary member, Michael Stone. Yeah. And so she first met him when she went into the maze prison and she was talking to everybody and he was released under the Good Friday Agreement. So I just thought this is so funny. He went to meet Mo because when she wrote her book, Momentum, uh, she was doing a book signing in Belfast City Shopping Centre. So he brought her a present and cued everybody else. But anyway, he finally got to the top of the list and he goes... Um, listen, you have to sign this copy really quickly because the IRA and his own side were still trying to murder him. Oh my God, can you imagine that? Yeah. She was so lovely. He literally risked his life to get her to sign the book. I know, like in another world, she'd be James Bond or Janet Bond. <laughs> so she's still doing all this amazing work. And all that time, she had a tumour, would you believe? Yeah, which she didn't want anyone to know about. So her doctor, Mark Glazer, believes that actually her tumour might ultimately have helped the peace process because she was racing against time. And he says, I'd given her a maximum of three years. I mean, most people at that stage would just go, fuck it, I'm off home, Jimmy. Yeah. Do you know, I'm just going to go back. I think he used to give her a special medication to stop her being sick so she'd go to meetings. How did she get through it? I don't know. And I mean... I just don't know how she did it. Like, really, she was such a strong, inspirational character, like a real role model, wasn't she? Um, I mean, I, I think maybe the peace process kept her going. Like, she was so focused on it and so determined to make a difference. Uh, the sad thing was, we all loved her, as in the general public, but the tumour was affecting her behaviour, so she was even more exuberant than she would have been normally, you know? Yeah, and of course, the politicians in a male-dominant world on the inside, felt that her behaviour was not very ladylike on occasion and weren't shy about recording it. Yeah, and as we know, um, even Dr. Martin Menstra mentioned that, you know, this behaviour included things like whipping off the wig, kicking off her shoes, um, you know, eating jelly babies and meetings, this kind of thing, while she got down to business. I mean, what does it matter? But, you know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> An ad for Jelly Babies. I know, yeah. Well, mine's from Jelly Babies now, actually. Yeah. So um, I think the thing was, though, like, we know that her personality was so important to the whole thing. And if she didn't have the tumour, she mightn't have brought them all together because she wouldn't have been so quite so exuberant, I think. And, you know, again, the fact that she seems so normal, there was no bull people related totally to her. Yeah, it was a phenomenal tribute to her and it led to her brief status as someone who seemed politically unass unassailable. Her charisma, her courage and taking on this job after her successful treatment for her brain tumor combined to make her a public hero. Yeah, like that much was evident when she won a standing ovation in the middle of the Prime Minister's speech at Labour's uh, 98 party conference. So... We think Tony Blair was jealous and he put the Prince of Darkness, Peter Mendelssohn, into the post instead. Oh, yeah. Well, that's our story and we're sticking to it. Yeah. <laughs> so after all of this, she wanted to leave the job on her own terms. 
she had decided that she would become foreign secretary and when Blair offered her the post of secretary of state for health instead, she refused. It was not until autumn of 1999 that she had moved largely against her will to the cabinet office, where she remained as minister and chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster till standing down as MP in 2001 election. Yeah, uh, Ufasek, you know. What? Wait, no, what? Yeah, Ufasek. Uh, that's the Irish for terrible. Do you remember Bosco? Yes, I do. Ufasek. Oh, I know everybody. <laughs> tidy up. That was the one. Tidy up. Goodbye, goodbye. Oh, yeah. I'm That's all we have time him. for today. We'll sing that at the end now when we're finishing up, lads, so we'll tidy up. Um, anyway, she had the responsibility for a number of important issues um, before she retired. So parliamentary reform and drugs policy among them, but she didn't have the same appetite for the job and, you know, she didn't hide her lack of interest in it or her disillusion. So, again, this was probably... Um, you know, down to having had cancer or whatever, yeah. and it was affecting how, you know, she probably had no filter or whatever. I suppose she knew time was running out for her and she wanted to literally make a difference. Yeah. You know, that was her. Yeah. And um, so anyway, she finally stood down as MP in 2001. On the 19th of August 2005, it was announced that Mo had died. Yeah, she had fallen in her home about two and a half weeks before this. She was knocked unconscious and never regained consciousness. Her friend, the Labour MP Stuart Bell, called her a lioness of the Labour Party. Michael Howard, the Conservative leader, said she enriched the national life. Neil Kinnock, the former Labour leader, called her one hell of a woman. That sure was. Yeah. And John Prescott, the Deputy Prime Minister, described her as a force for good in British life. And this one is my absolute favourite. Claire Short, um, who was another big Labour figure, said simply, it seems so wrong that she has gone... Until her ill health, she was incredibly beautiful, she was mischievous, she was full of sparkle and a joy to be with. She had no airs and graces, she had a PhD, she was extremely intelligent, but she did not try to be a clever dick. <laughs> Love it. So that's the story of Mo Molin. If you'd like to keep Mo's memory alive, you can get her autobiography called Momentum. We have made incredible progress over the last year, we being the parties themselves. Everybody. And it's building on what others have done before us. It's not just us. Previous Irish governments, John Major, a whole host of people made it happen. And there's not a leader in that process that doesn't want to make it work, for any of the parties. And the people, both North and South, want it. Of course. And it's up to all of us to hold our nerve and make it happen. There's also a film starring the fabulous Julie Walters. Good, good woman to represent her as well. Yeah, absolutely brilliant actress. Um, so Mo, wherever you are, Neve and I and the whole of Ireland will never forget what you did for us. We'll never forget your bright light, how you made us laugh, how you got the job done and helped give us the best prize of all, which was peace on our island. And Henrietta, if you ever listen to this, we hope you like it. And we hope that you know that we all know what Mo did for us. Um, the, you know, the real people of Ireland will never forget what she did for us. And Mo, you're an absolute rock star. Yeah. So if you like our podcast, please review us, subscribe, spread the word to all those new subscribers in um in um Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> in Hawaii. Yeah, amazing. Great yeah. podcast has. <laughs> You'll really be helping us out and we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. 
Um, if you feel like talking, you can chat to us on Twitter at TBF Central, C-E-N-T-R-A-L, and Facebook.com, the Business Fairy Digital Marketing Agency. Thanks to everyone who has supported us um, so far. Like We're so genuinely grateful that the people who have um, tuned in, you know, it's, we appreciate it so much and it's just great that there are other people into things that we're into so ta-ta for now hashtag ttfn and feck it just do it mo style hashtag f-i-j-d-i like a jedi bye, bye. the people that time forgot podcast with ashling hurley amp neve quinn Thank you.